Annyeong, welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake in Arrested Development Podcast. I'm your host, Darren, and today uh, we are returning with Season 4 of Arrested Development. The entire show was released on the 26th of May, 2013. All the episodes were directed by Mitch Hurwitz and Troy Miller. Uh, Troy Miller had directed a few other TV shows. Um, for this, he co-directs all 15 episodes. This episode was written by Mitch Hurwitz, uh, and the focus is on Michael. Um, Michael's instrument that appears on the opening titles is the trumpet. Uh, this was unusually the first of the 15 produced. As we get further into the season, um, you'll find out why that is unusual, but most of the time, uh, the episode they aired in is not the episode that they were recorded in. Joining me today to discuss this first episode is Kevin O'Leary. Hello, Kevin. Hello, happy to be back. Um, before we get going into the whole, you know, um, episode, which is titled Flight of the Phoenix, <laughs> which, um, once again, a wonderful, like, double meaning uh, from, you know, from these episode titles, um, I thought I'd talk a little bit about season four. Obviously, after um, season, um, you know, uh, season three was cancelled by Fox. Um, you know, all four episodes burnt off in one one day uh, to conclude the whole show. Um, a few years later, because uh, that was uh, what two thousand six. That was February two thousand six when it finished. In two thousand eleven, um, there was a reunion of the cast on the second of October, and um, while there, Jason Bateman. Um, confirmed that they were going to do, um, he said at the time, 10 episodes and the movie. And then he said he'll probably shoot them all and they'll come out in early, you know, 13. Um, which it, kind of in the end, those 10 episodes <laughs> turned into 15. Um, although um, Netflix themselves announced it as 13 episodes. And then they upped, as as, as um, the the whole thing went on, they, they, they had reshoots after they started initially shooting and so um, Mitch Herbert was able to expand some of the storylines, you know, due to availability, basically, of, of certain cast members um, and others kind of got rewritten to, to suit uh, the availability of the different cast members. Uh, and this was a big step for Netflix because, uh, you know, while we think of them now as a company who puts out, you know, a, a new show every single week, um, you know, uh, this year alone, I've, I'm sure there's like at least five or six like kind of new shows that they've put out that people have. If I told you their names, you'd be like, I didn't even realize that was a show. And Netflix did 13 of them <laughs> and put them all out one Friday and people don't even know. Um, they kind of didn't have this reputation at, at the time. They were basically just a company who mailed out DVDs um, and they had moved into the arena of things streaming online. At the time, there was actually a talk of, you know, Netflix splitting into two companies, um, one which would do um, just sending out, uh, you know, the, the discs and the other which would be concentrating on the streaming um, and, you know, in the end, they kind of, they, they didn't do that. Instead, they kind of stuck to just being called Netflix. In kind of February 2013, which is only, a, a, you know, a few months before um, uh, this debuted, uh, House of Cards went up, and that was like their first proper kind of original show. Um, they had purchased the show Lilyhammer and done like a, a, a I think, um, a a second and third season of that or something but they they basically picked up a cancelled show there and Arrested Development was like the second original show original in inverted commas that they ever did 
uh, Hemlock Grove, I think, following late in 2013. Um, and then, of course, you know, Orange is the New Black came out a couple of months afterwards. And, you know, pretty much since then, Orange is the New Black and House of Cards obviously have been their, their kind of two signature programs. Um, along with um, later in 2013, they announced that they were going to do the, you know, the four Marvel shows, which would lead to the team up which this summer is finally arriving um like three years after it was announced it was quite interesting you know that um that netflix decided to go into this original programming now netflix themselves um the company is like very very profitable um you know if you think how much you pay to watch netflix and then you realize that they have like you know um think somewhere in the region of, of two to three million subscribers so you know whatever number you're paying multiply that by two to three million and count that every single month and that is how much that they are uh, kind of putting out and um you know in 2016 they spent roughly five billion dollars on original content which is i think double what the cw spent and more certainly than fox or abc spent on original content NBC and CBS only spend more because they pay for sports in America. So that, <laughs> the American football costs them a lot more than, you know, five billion a year would. Um, but yeah, so, you know, this was Netflix changing direction in, in quite a, a big way. And the idea of putting out 13, 14, 15 episodes of a show on one day and kind of watching them all over a weekend, you know, that, that kind of binging thing. It wasn't a huge thing before now. I would like to say that actually, you know, there were a number of TV shows that had been putting out box sets like, um, you know, The Wire, The West Wing. Um, those those had actually benefited from having um, people buy their entire runs and watch them over weekends. Um, and, you know, so that, that idea of buying the physical media, and I'm sure Netflix probably realized this as well, because obviously, you know, they would they would have lots of people renting whole TV series from them. Um, so that whole physical, people buying the whole physical media and watching it, then with the rise of streaming, then turned into this, you know, turned into the idea that, you know, um, a network that essentially used to just mail out DVDs could now produce a whole new TV season of a cancelled programme. Um, and of course, this is this is something that has become common over the last kind of five, six years where people, when a TV show is cancelled, they feel that it's going to be rescued by a streaming service. Uh, which, you know, happened with Community and then Community basically ended up killing Yahoo's streaming service <laughs> due to its popularity um, and their inability to realise how to kind of manage that. Um, but yeah, so um, I'm just going to ask Kevin, did you, when this came out, did you actually watch the whole um, 15 episodes on the week it came out? You know, like, were you were you that big of an Arrested Development fan like me that decided, you know, the, the kind of the Saturday and Sunday after it came out was just... Seven episodes one day and eight episodes the next, and you were you done the whole season. Oh, that was me. That first Saturday, me and some friends watched. I think the first ten, we watched the whole day, and then we watched the last five on our own. We didn't have the two full days, but it was great. And we were a little mixed between us. Like I loved it personally, but some of my friends are a little more on the fence about the new format. I think this is something you know. As we go through these episodes, is maybe going to be something that comes up a couple of times. Though I would like to say that you know the people who have guessed, who have decided to be guests for this fourth season are fans of the fourth season. They're not people who are going to come on and say the fourth season is terrible. But yeah, I, I remember watching it and in particular following along with the recaps on the what was once the Onions AV Club, but which is now merely the AV Club, and reading the, the different 
because they had um, two different people reviewing the episodes. Obviously, you know, binging 15 episodes was too much of a task for one writer. Yeah. And they had a bit of crosstalk on some of the episodes where both of them would give their opinions of what they felt to different episodes. And I'd streamed, I'd watched all of them before I actually read any of the reviews. But reading the reviews is quite interesting because... You know, you found out that people felt that, you know, the next episode, which is George Sr.'s first, was maybe a little on the long side. This episode itself uh, runs at 31 minutes 12, which is <laughs> quite long. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's a full kind of 10 minutes longer than any of the longest episodes of the original three series. And, you know, I I personally feel like it gives them a chance to do a lot of kind of, I wouldn't say more in-depth stories, because I think a lot of the stuff on Arrested Development is very surface and very kind of jokey. Um, but I think, particularly in this episode, the whole vote thing, if you had a shorter episode, that would have to be played a lot quicker. And it would yeah. have to be over a lot sooner. But with this, you get like five minutes of the planning of the vote and then you get the very slow kind of reveal of the taking place of the vote and then you get the aftermath of the vote with Michael going to the airport and I feel like you know going to the airport would have probably been 30 seconds done on, on the next on a normal episode and you know the vote would have been very quick and it would have been cut very quickly and you would have just seen the votes very fast and you wouldn't have had that lingering shot of the the dad getting crossed out and turned into <laughs> Michael, which is the final vote that gets open, which is just such a kind of... Beautiful moment. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of that kind of stuff would have been really cut down. Um, and, you know, some people maybe would have preferred that to have been the way done it. But I think it, it really lets, particularly Jason Bateman, you know, it really lets him kind of kind of show his, his acting chops. Because in this episode, he kind of goes through all the different stages of what, um, you know, Michael Bluth is, you know, like trying to be a good guy, being completely oblivious to his, you know, his son's <laughs> wishes, which was always a, a theme in the show. But here he takes it to extremes where he's he's in the shower with his son. And I just love how he says, name one way we're different. And they're both just standing there <laughs> naked. And it's like such a silly moment. But, you know, I feel like if, if this was a normal length show, they would have had to cut some of those kind of sillier asides out of it. Um, you know, and I feel that in future episodes, all the stuff with like fate block, a lot of which gets set up in this episode, it's worth noting, um, you know, and all the stuff with um, Lucille's um, trial, all those kind of things, I think probably would have been done a lot quicker and maybe the jokes wouldn't have been given time to kind of breathe. We, we, we have to kind of catch up with the characters as well. You know, it's been this, this you know, they, they kind of do this in real time where it's been... Um, six years since the last time we saw anybody and they don't kind of jump forward quickly. They kind of <laughs> let you know what happened exactly after, you know, development arrested and then they kind of gradually bring you up to date. Um, so, but, you know, let's uh, get into the episode and I'll tell you what the summary is as it appears on the DVD, which is this. Um, Michael says goodbye to the family business and starts his own. Also, the life of the family, of the Blue family, is turned upside down when Mailman Pete dies. <laughs> now, that's what it says on the on the DVD. I think the Mailman Pete thing is a little bit overplayed yeah, in that summary yeah. because it's it's just a minor moment. But you know, we start with the introduction of Seth Rogen and Kristen Wiig as the younger George and Lucille. Now, previously in any flashbacks, some flashbacks which have actually taken place. The kind of the same year as these flashbacks are being are being put. It's usually just been people with wigs, basically. <laughs> it's, it's just been George Senior in a wig, or it's just been Jessica Walters um, just made up a little bit so she looks younger. They haven't really ever gone to the trouble of recasting actors, but I'm guessing uh, Seth Rogen and, and um, Kristen Wiig were obviously fans of the show, and I think Kristen Wiig does a really good. 
um, kind of impression of Jessica Walters. I think she does a really good Lucille. Whereas I feel like Seth Rogen, um, not as good, I would say. No, no. Phones in a little bit there. He really... And uh, I know it's played for laughs too, but he really, with his hair and everything, looks nothing like a young George or the old at all. <laughs> and this is where we get the idea which will drive um, most of the other episodes, actually, but not this episode, <laughs> oddly enough, uh, which is the idea of Cinco de Cuatro, <laughs> which doesn't even make any sense because it should be Cuatro de Mayo, but the fact that they don't understand how Spanish works <laughs> is kind of... <laughs> they come up with a, a, a holiday which is the 5th of the 4th which doesn't make any sense but it kind of fits with Lu- uh, Lucille and George and of course this is born out of spite you know the fact that um, the, the, the um, Luce or um, Lupe are on holiday and, and their beds are still unmade and George Senior can't find clean socks you know they basically come up with this out of spite um, and interestingly um, the kind of the opening um, is, uh, <laughs> is is this really weird kind of like Dr. Seussian type um, introduction where the narrator is is telling us about the creation of, um, you know, Cinco um, or, or, or Quattro as it should be called. <laughs> but they call it Cinco for the rest. And, uh, you know, uh, the narrator says, as Lucille has this, this green um, face mask on, making her appear a little bit like the Grinch. Um, he says, and then Lucille had a horrible thought, a thought that was thoughtless and better to not. What if, she thought with a sneering grin, and Lucille says, next year, what if the party didn't even begin? And I like this kind of, obviously, you know, a shout out to the fact that Ron Howard directed, um, you know, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Um, but I just kind of I just kind of like how Lucille comes up with this idea out of spite, and, it, you know, it looks down upon the rest of Newport Beach and plots this kind of evil thing <laughs> just because she's been inconvenienced, um, you know, uh, which is it's kind of just a, a really kind of way, kind of odd way to start the season as well. I remember watching this first episode and thinking, what on earth is going on here with this whole <laughs> Cinco de, de Cuatro? Um, and of course, <laughs> Lucille says it's all part of the Mexican War on May the 5th, <laughs> which is... Kind of obviously a reference to the whole war on Christmas thing that, um, you know, conservatives seem to think is a thing that happens uh, sometime around the 1st of December until the 25th. Um, but yeah, so it's it's kind of funny that this is just this. And then for the rest of this episode, we don't hear anything else about um, Cinco de Cuatro, apart from the next scene, which brings us into the present, which is indeed set on the 4th of May, 2012, um, where Michael goes to... Uh, Lucille Ostero um, to to borrow some money um, to keep his business, which is the Michael B Company, <laughs> um, which is such a great. I like how he's denying his family by calling himself Michael B. In the rest of the show, we'll find out that George Michael wants to also dissociate himself from the Bluth family name, um, but he chooses a slightly different route. We get here Sally Sitwell returns as played by um, Ben Stiller's wife, um, whose name escapes me at this particular point. <laughs> Um, we, we have, you know, Sally Sitwell as the advisor to Lucille too. I like how Michael, <laughs> he goes to borrow the money. As he's doing this, he thinks about debasing himself, as the narrator says. Um, and this leads to a little bit of kind of a flashback where the narrator shows us that obviously Lucille too has, 
you know, um, got together with both uh, Job and uh, Buster. Um, and also in a later episode, um, George Sr. So basically all of the Bluth men. Um, and <laughs> Michael goes to, like, kiss Lucille, but he moves his head to one side and she follows. And then he moves his head to the other side and she follows. And of course, due to her vertigo, as she keeps moving her head from side to side, this makes her fall over. And then he picks her back up and he goes to kiss her again. But then he has to hold her head to keep it in place to stop her from falling down again, which I think is like a, a really good kind of callback to, uh, you know, to uh, Liza Minnelli's character. Liza Minnelli, even though she's only in this kind of this brief scene here, um, and a little bit later on where she also falls over. <laughs> she is once again fantastic as Lucille Osterio. And, you know, one of the things that obviously, you know, each episode focuses on a single cast member uh, due to the way it was filmed, basically, because not everyone was available all the time. Um, most notably, Tony Hale, um, whose episode basically seems to take place uh, completely separate from everybody else in the entire cast. I think the advantage that gives is we get some really good kind of guest um, performances and it's nice to have Lucille Ostero as a kind of consistent character throughout the whole kind of fourth season. Um, you know, I always liked what she did on the show, you know, on the original run. And it's fun to have her here kind of uh, as one of the connective tissue between all the different kind of disparate storylines that are going on. Once, <laughs> once Michael, after, you know, debasing himself or doing... Actually, we never find out what he does... Um, with Lucille Ostero because it says Michael did something unthinkable <laughs> and obviously later on in the season we'll find out that Lucille Ostero has been um, maybe murdered <laughs> we're never completely clear on it and maybe that Michael was the one who did it and he returns to the mobile the mobile the model home and um, we see that Job is there um, and <laughs> they speak of some recent unpleasantness and i love that neither of them refer to what's going on like the actual thing but they both talk about the unpleasantness and it's just <laughs> such a kind of a kind of funny way to kind of you know have them kind of talk around um what will be you know a story later on um and of course uh, i like that joe wants specifics of what michael is ashamed of so he can make very specific kind of attacks and he says otherwise i'll just be taking general pot shots <laughs> um, and and then of course he comes up with a bad example where he says bad example if you were ashamed of being in love with a man and suddenly discovered these new feelings then i might say something like homo much <laughs> <laughs> and of course when michael goes it's not that he goes i said bad example and that calls back to you know his whole thing with his wife where he said you know bad example if her name's amy i'll call her blamey uh, and you, you know, which of course Amy Poehler was at the time, uh, Will Arnett's wife. Yeah. Um, well, at this point, knowing what comes in the future, it's really great. Uh, I remember the first time I saw it; it was just a little confusing. I know, like the the unpleasantness becomes more funny later on, but that was one of the moments where I was like, it seemed like a an interesting scene, but a little bit of a throwaway scene for now. It seems like just the format became more jarring at this one scene into the episode. And then, of course, we get a call back to the you know, the forget me nows. And um, yeah. <laughs> we, we very quickly see Job in what will be a scene in a future episode that goes on for about, I don't know, seven, eight minutes, uh, where Job thinks he should have had more forget-me-nows than he has. Um, and then he basically wrestles Michael to the ground <laughs> and he, he forces a pill down his mouth. And as he's kind of getting it down his mouth, he goes, he starts singing, it's so easy to forget. <laughs> and then he goes, stupid, forgetful Michael. <laughs> And that's when we kind of hit the titles. Um, and it's worth saying that, you know, 
the narration on the titles is different each time as, um, you know, uh, Ron Howard says. I mean, in fact, in this one, it says sort of almost the same way. He's there's the one son who had no choice but to keep himself together. Whereas obviously previously it used to be keep the family together. Right. And, uh, and he tells us it's Michael's Arrested Development. Um, and as each, you know, as each character gets their own episodes, the choice of who, who it is, you know, the one son, the father, the one daughter, the uncle, that will kind of change um, at, at, with each episode. We go to six months before the Forget Me Now, <laughs> which I like how that's been, you know, identified as the incident where Michael is living in his dorm with George Michael. Um, and uh, as as always, you know, the chemistry between... Um, Michael Sarah and Jason Bateman, you know, even after, you know, five, six years, it's still there. And it is so perfect, you know, um, as kind of like um, <laughs> this father son kind of combination, you know, the one of whom doesn't <laughs> doesn't want to give the other one privacy. It's just such a great kind of um, it's kind of great interactions between the two actors. Um, and, you know, they really kind of know their characters so well at this point. Um, particularly when we get the fact that, you know, um, Michael is going to college at Phoenix University, which is, you know, obviously well known for being online, but he's doing it by staying in his son's dorm room at, at uh, UC Irvine. And it's just like, it's such a, the way the narrator kind of brings you into it and the fact that we have this computer screen with Phoenix on it. And then it turns into the computer screen on Michael's lap. You know, here we find out, you know, that he's asking for what his password is. <laughs> George Michael says, what's the most important thing? Which, you know, call him back to the pilot. And of course, Michael goes, I've tried family and it does not work for me. Which, you know, applies to both the password and the last three years uh, on the show. Um, and, you know, George Michael says privacy um, and points out that no one else should know um, the password but you. Um, and I like this kind of quick, the kind of like montage of them living together, where uh, Michael keeps following him around, even into the showers, and <laughs> you know um, he he says you've got to have a better sense of humor about yourself. And, um, and Michael giving himself a compliment saying, hey, look at that guy. He's got the hair of a teenager. <laughs> and um, you know, I like how George Michael does. A little kind of gag where he goes, it's hard to be self-effacing when you're this perfect specimen of ruggly, rugged manliness. And I like how George Michael doesn't even understand that the joke is being told there. Yeah, nope. <laughs> and he goes, uh, we're going to work on it. This is why I'm living in your door. <laughs> I like as well here we get the first joke about George Michael being twins, where the twins who are in charge of assigning campus housing actually give him the big kind of room. Um, which is why George Michael's room is so big, which to me feels a little bit like an explanation of kind of like a TV explanation, because obviously houses on TV have to be extra large to be able to fit in camera crews and stuff. So I think the fact that they're in this very large room where it's just George Michael's own dorm, I guess they've had to have such a large room to be able to fit the camera crew in. And it's kind of a little bit of a kind of joke about, uh, you know, the size of rooms that characters have on television anyway. We get a couple of cutaways as well <laughs> to um, George Michael's name, which later on in the season will become like a, a very specific joke. But here we find out that he wants to move away from being called George Michael because of the time when George Michael was caught uh, in Beverly Hills, arrested for, solic for soliciting sex from an undercover cop. Uh, and this is, of course, sees the return of Trisha Thune on Fox, 
Um, and then we get a quick cut to um, <laughs> the British news with Beatrix Heavily Sneed, uh, played by Amanda Decadene, who is probably someone that means nothing to American audiences, but who was actually quite notorious in England um, for a couple of TV shows that she was a presenter of. <laughs> Michael suggests that, you know, to avoid confusion with his uncle George or grandfather George, we call him Boy George, <laughs> uh, which, of course, then we get a quick cut to singer Boy George caught for sexual assault in a men's bathroom. <laughs> so, um, you know, my, George Michael, of course, <laughs> I like as well how he decides to stick with his name because at least it was consensual. <laughs> obviously, in the year 2017, this is a little bit more tragic because obviously, you know, George Michael died uh, recently this Christmas, you know, at a very young age. So some of these jokes about George Michaels in <laughs> retrospect seem... Uh, kind of a, a little bit different. But then, you know, we kind of start with the, the thread of Michael wanting to get P-Hound kicked out of the dorm. Um, you know, George Michael had the dorm to himself until they realised he wasn't two people and then he actually got assigned a roommate. Um, and, you know, the story with P-Hound obviously will be expanded upon in, in George Michael's own episodes and maybe his episodes. We find out here that, you know, uh, Michael is willing to not crowd his son, you know, because he realised... He realizes that you know um, he needs to be free and <laughs> and have some space to himself. And he talks about going to the real Phoenix, but he says they've got one in Costa Mesa, so, <laughs> so he's not even going to go to Phoenix. Uh, so Michael kind of just doesn't understand George Michael's need for privacy. And obviously, this is a common thread from from the original series. Um, but I like that this is where we kind of get the whole fake block thing brought up. Um, only in passing, um, where um, <laughs> George Michael is writing code for a block software. Now, it's it's important that the narrator says it that way, um, because the narrator doesn't go doesn't kind of lie, you know, when he says that, because that is what they were working on. They were working on block software. It's obviously everyone else who misinterprets exactly what that means. Um, once fake block be kind of becomes so big. Um, and I like as well how when we hear George Michael and P. Hound talking about this, um, he says, you're leaving a hole right in the middle of the block. And <laughs> later on, we'll find out that that's a literal thing. He's not talking about, you know, kind of um, anything to do with social media. And of course, P. Hound talks about people will be able to hack in through the mobile platform and um, it, they won't be a block on anything 3G. So... P Hound seems to be giving the idea that they're, um, you know, that they're doing something uh, that is not what they're actually doing. <laughs> I'd like as well how when Michael finds out that they're not doing schoolwork, that they're just in the middle of writing this software, he takes the laptop off him, which he calls the lappy. He says, give me the lappy, <laughs> which I think is such a, a kind of weird Michaelism. Um, and then he's got a Skype with his advisor in Phoenix. Um, and he says, if I don't get on it right now, he's going to have to Skype me from a TGI Fridays. <laughs> Uh, which is kind of I like as well how here we get the idea that um, you know George Michael keeps talking to him about privacy um, and obviously that's something that will end up turning into the storyline about fate block when Michael tries to schedule something his calendar is stuck on 2003 <laughs> and he can't and when and when George Michael says just hit the today button he goes oh sorry it's stuck in 2003 so I don't have today it's just like a whole thing about them trying to figure out how to you know kind of work his calendar on it on his thing and it's just really i don't know it's just a great kind of 
the interaction between these two, I don't know how you feel about it in this episode, but I think it's just like one of the keys of the show. Oh, definitely. It's very on point this episode. It felt very flawless. It felt like, yeah, especially Michael Cera, I guess he hasn't done super a lot unique since then, but he seemed to fit the character so well again. And Bateman, always is Bateman, but I was really happy to see that Sarah could still pull it off and still be that good with Bateman. It was awesome. And I think as well, obviously, there's a little bit of a kind of meta thing because, um, you know, the whole Facebook thing, um, this comes out obviously years after Social Network, um, but a lot of people seem to feel that Jesse Eisenberg and Michael Sarah kind of do the same things. <laughs> and so the idea that, you know, Michael Sarah is playing this character who's at college coming up with this software that's going to get lots of investors and making tons of money. It's kind of like a little meta commentary on the whole social network thing, you know, because it does have the flavor, particularly when we get into the court cases later on in the show. Um, when we get into George Michael's episodes later on in the season, there this is kind of the start of you know um, the kind of interaction with P Hound being you know the um, uh, the the character played by Andrew Garfield, and obviously the twins are there as well. So there's some twins. Uh, they they're in the court case as well later on, which obviously calls to the the Winklevoss twins. So there's a there's a kind of subtle social network thing being set up here, which. Later in the show, they kind of build it up a little bit more and pay it all off properly. And I like as well how, <laughs> you know, uh, George Michael says that fake block is like the opposite of um, Facebook. And <laughs> this blocks, what he's working on blocks you from everyone. And um, Michael says, kind of like the anti-social network, right? Um, so <laughs> so they, are, they occasionally they do get a little bit more explicit on what they're doing. But once again, we get George Michael saying, just press today. <laughs> and I love this whole thing of how they can't get the, his calendar on his phone to display things correctly. It's like such a stupid joke. Um, but I, I kind of, I really love it. Um, and this is where we start to get the story, um, which will be kind of built up a bit more in, in some of the, you know, the next Michael episode, which is... Um, the story where he's going to be in altitude um which is for out west airlines um and it's it's next to sky mall um and he says he says it's the number two most read thing in all of coach and he goes well number three with a safety card <laughs> it's just like it's such a kind of <laughs> i think it's such a kind of weird way of looking at it and obviously we find out that michael had the, the company had been sold uh, the final episode of the series to um, Stan, Stan Sitwell. He'd taken it at a very low price. When things got bad for the company, Stan, Stan Sitwell immediately divested the company to Lucille 2. And he does this with a line where he says, how would you like to be bumped up to Lucille 1? <laughs> um, which, <laughs> which is quite fun. Realising, it's quite funny because Michael didn't want to get pulled into the drama. Uh, so obviously we see him on the boat with his son, as they'd kind of driven into the sunset, they kind of have to go back anyway <laughs> because, you know, the ship turned around. I like here how we get a little bit of a callback to um, you're a crook, Captain Hook. Um, <laughs> as, as Michael takes, you know, gets the power of flight and he bumps into the seal on the wall and someone starts screaming, Lucille, Lucille. And <laughs> Kristen Wiig, without looking up, says, I'm watching, um, <laughs> which I think is quite fun. Um, and Michael goes into this very long description of, um, you know, eight bells and all is well. When he and when he finishes, Barry goes, wow, maybe you should be the maritime lawyer. And I like that they kind of brought back the whole maritime law joke, uh, because obviously that was quite prominent when he was Charith cute story um, and, you know, lawyers of the sea and submarine chasers and all the other jokes that they made about it at the time with Maggie Liza. Um, but I like how it's kind of been called back here. 
Um, and especially as we find out how bad Barry is um, at law when Lucille says your one year of law school is going to be Barry's three. Um, <laughs> which, you know, if you know anything about law, you know that it takes more than three years to get a law degree. <laughs> um, so maybe a suggestion there that, um, that Barry didn't quite get his law degree. Uh, something we might actually see in flashbacks later on in the in this particular season. I like how we get the announcement here that um, Lucille and George Senior are getting a divorce. Uh, Michael, of course, isn't reacting to it, but we do get some very prominent screaming from Buster. <laughs> and Tony Hale just kind of times this so perfectly, this kind of like sc- scream at the top of his lungs when he realises that they're getting divorced. And then as Michael starts talking, he kind of has this like low whimper that keeps going <laughs> to the rest of the scene. And it's just kind of really kind of, it's really well done. And that is really the only appearance of Buster in this episode is just that very brief little section. You know, they talk here about the stimulus package, obviously, you know, placed in this episode kind of somewhere in, um, in 2008-ish. Um, and Michael, you know, um, he wants kind of to to take over the business again and and finish Sudden Valley which as we know for the entire run of the original series was just one house Um, (laughs) I like here as well when Michael says um, you know they've already got their hooks into it talking about you know the feds and and he goes Buster no offence it's none taken (laughs) so I I kind of love that kind of weird um, thing and then there's a really really odd joke here um I don't know how you felt about this, but it was really odd when George Sr. says you never accept help from anyone. Um, it's like tipping an African-American. You wouldn't tip an African-American, would you? And then <laughs> Michael goes, of course I would. And then George Sr. goes, on a train? I don't even know what that's meant to be a joke about. But then you have like these two you know, African-Americans standing there waiting for a tip and you know george senior and, and lucille are just like goodbye <laughs> and it's such a weird joke I don't... Yeah, it is an odd one it is a nice way to show how horrible people george senior and lucille are really to reintroduce you if you forgot they're not the best people in the world it's a perfect way to reintroduce that and it's a nice little scene and it plays back a little later with uh george r uh michael uh, tipping someone that does not need to be tipped later in the episode too, which is pretty funny. <laughs> I like how George Senior wants to keep Michael clean. Once again, he said this when they were on trial before, um, you know, because he's the key witness. Um, and, you know, they want Michael to do the work of the president, but not get paid or be able to use any of the money. And, you know, <laughs> and, he, and of course, once he lays this out, Lucille says, I just want you to say I was a loving mother. And he goes, and now perjury, (laughs) which I think is really good. And of course, this is where Michael goes to Lucille too. Um, This, despite it coming after the earlier thing, this is actually before that, Um, you know, keeping the timelines in order here. Um, And so, you know, he's talking to Lucille too, and he's going to trade his shares. Uh, And I like how the narrator basically gives the whole story while Michael is saying it underneath. <laughs> so the narrator is telling us, you know, he simply traded his shares in the Bluth Company. And you hear a bit of Michael saying, shares of the Bluth Company. And he's like, you know, to hold on to Southern Valley, it's a pet project. And then the narrator kind of comes in saying, getting himself out and giving the balance of power to a woman who had no power of balance. <laughs> of course, as, as she kind of closes the door, she kind of like falls over, which is something that she'll repeat later on. Um, and, you know, this is where we finally get to see um, something that I found actually quite satisfying as a long-time viewer. Sudden Valley is complete. 
not just the model home, but all the houses. And of course, <laughs> it gets completed at the absolute worst time. <laughs> Michael misses his mother's day in court, as does um, George Michael. This is something that will kind of keep coming back um, throughout the episodes, although not until Lucille's episode do we fully get to understand what's going on. Um, and then we see John Beard talking about the collapse of the, the California housing market and saying is taking a personal toll with cutbacks here at the station. Now, in a couple of episodes time, we'll hear the whole of that speech because Lindsay and Tobias watch it on the television. Um, but here, Michael has no proper cable connection, so he loses <laughs> the second half of it. Um, and we also don't have, he also doesn't have a road that goes to the development. <laughs> and so uh, while he's there, you know, um, and this is probably my favourite little moment in this episode. Uh, Michael goes, that's not a great sign. And we pull out and we see a vulture sitting on on like the, um, I don't know what it is, like the mailbox next to him. Yeah. And just like making a sound. And it's like so funny that it's just like the vulture, like, I don't know. It's just, like, I, I don't know how they trained a vulture to just sit there. But it's really, fu- it's like a funny visual. Um, and of course, an airplane goes overhead saying, sit well, homesteads. 16 luxury homes. We have cable slash paved road right to your door. <laughs> and I like how that second one is like a selling point. Um, and of course, Michael says, this is why you don't confide in a competitor. Um, and once again, he returns to Lucille too and manages to get, you know, $700,000 from her. And once again, she falls over after giving him the check. We see in the model home a tumbleweed going by, <laughs> which is such a great kind of joke. Um, and then, you know, um, he loses complete hope when mailman Pete dies. Um, and, you know, he ends up going back to, um, you know, have Thanksgiving um, in George Michael's dorm. Um, and I like how he turns up with this bag and George Michael's like, I don't have a kitchen, obviously thinking it's food. And he goes, oh, these are my clothes. <laughs> so he doesn't even have any food for this supposed like, you know, Thanksgiving. And, you know, this is this is kind of the start of him spending the, the six months um, in there. And, you know, uh, we, we see that not only has Michael moved into the dorm, but other people's parents are moving into the dorm as well, um, including uh, Trang's grandfather. Um, and this is where we find out that there is a computer lab, uh, which is obviously where George Michael has been h- hiding to get away from his father. Um, and this is where we meet um, Peahound properly for the first time, um, where you know Michael's talking about altitude, and um, Peahound says, "You're in attitude. That magazine is so gay." And of course, you know the narrator points out that it, you know he wasn't being flipped with the word gay. Attitude is a British magazine for homosexuals, <laughs> um, which now I love this joke because obviously being British, I already, you know, I knew that Attitude was a real magazine anyway. Um, so it's funny that they kind of put this joke in there. But the cover that they have, it, ha- it has the various headlines which read, uh, we found the secret to being gay and happy, uh, a new way of thinking that could change your life. Boy, George, George Michael, more than a name in common. Um <laughs> Magic Man, Tony Wonder's Biggest Secret, which, of course, hints at a storyline later on in the show. And Emmerdale's hard lad, Danny Miller. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) Um, Emmerdale is a long-running TV soap in this country. Um, It used to be called Emmerdale Farm a number of years ago. 
Um, so that is Emmerdale is a real program, <laughs> which is the detail that I really like. Um, you know, and the fact that Danny Miller is a um, is an actor on Emmerdale, <laughs> and so th that's like a very real. And he's um, I think he's the cover model on this particular issue of of Attitude as well. Um, you know, so it's quite funny that they've actually chosen you know, um, uh, an actor who really is from a real show. But if you're American, I'm guessing you see the phrase, you know, Emmerdale, and you wouldn't even think, is this a real show or not a real show? You just think it's like some words on a magazine, basically. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I quite like that they, they kind of, they put that level of detail into it. You know, Michael corrects him and tells him that Altitude is, um, is an in-flight magazine for Out West. Um, obviously, Out West being, you know, uh, itself a reference to people coming out. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's quite <laughs> funny as well. It's kind of a, a, sec a second meaning already there. Um, and I like as well how angry Michael gets at P-Hound when he questions, you know, um, going, on, going on a flight. Um, it's just quite funny. And, and of course, he says it's not on ter terrestrial newsstands just yet. And I don't think that that's ever a thing that's going to happen. I don't think that, um, you know, in-flight magazines ever get put onto newsstands. No. So, you know, I like that detail. This is where we kind of get the introduction now of maybe, uh, you know, returning to the show. And I like that um, P-Hound, <laughs> they have like the sock on the doorknob and P-Hound is outside. And of course... You know, Michael, when told that there's a girl in there, he goes, well, where the hell is George Michael? <laughs> Obviously thinking that there might be a girl in there by herself, but not with George Michael. And of course, um, <laughs> I like when he when, you know, Michael enters, he goes, he goes, uh, bad news. P-Hound is yanking our chain again. <laughs> I kind of I kind of love that. Um, and then, of course, this is when we get maybe saying hello. And um, of course, you know, Michael thinks it's a scheme to make. P-Hound think that maybe is some kind of, um, you know, girlfriend that uh, George Michael has. Uh, that obviously being George Michael's ideal <laughs> is he would love to be boyfriend to his cousin, who obviously is not related to him in any way. Um, you know, his mother was, uh, her mother was adopted. So, um, you know, if they wanted, uh, they could get together. Um, but yeah, and then this is where we get into probably one of my favorite things uh, in this episode, which is the whole voting situation <laughs> and how Michael cannot work out how to do the vote so that P-Hound gets voted out. They talk about doing a vote and how, you know, it's going to be two against one. And then George Michael is like, um, well, actually, <laughs> obviously, he I think Michael doesn't want him to... He thinks that obviously P-Hound is going to vote for him. And then, you know, George Michael votes for P-Hound and, you know, Michael votes for P-Hound. That, I think, is the start position that they're assuming. Um, obviously, <laughs> then, you know, George Michael realises that everyone will know who voted for everyone. And um, Michael then decides to use maybe uh, to move in uh, as his girlfriend in inverted commas. <laughs> um, and, of course, this is where maybe, you know, George Michael says she's not my girlfriend, she's my cousin. And maybe goes... I'm not attracted to him. And obviously, you know, uh, given their history, I like how quickly they both say that. Um, and then, you know, this is where George Michael points out that wouldn't maybe want to vote for Michael. And obviously, you know, they both say, uh, when when George Michael refers to it as a girlfriend, they both say, uh, I'm not your girlfriend, not your girlfriend. <laughs> and it's just like, um, 
And then we kind of get the planning, uh, which um, I don't know how you feel about this, but this is one of my favorite bits, how the planning to do this simple vote ends up going through like so many hours of plans. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love the different locations they go to to figure it all out and all the inner workings and how Michael's trying so hard to figure out a way to make it all very clever and he he's can't. He, he ends up trying to vote for himself, which is uh, never a good strategy. Yeah, and I like as well how he says it's adios brotherio. <laughs> so once again, not understanding what brother is. Um, and yeah, the planning it goes through organic chemistry and... Then they come up with this idea of, you know, um, pack ahead of time and then no talking once the vote comes in. Um, and of course, those two things will be very important in what happens, <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, they get to the vote and um, <laughs> Michael reads his own vote saying first vote to remove Michael. And then, of course, he goes, what are you going to do? And then he goes, second vote to remove Michael, <laughs> and the narrator says, Michael expected this, but didn't expect the sting. And then he goes, uh, obviously, if there's a tie, it's an immediate runner. <laughs> and I like when he opens the third one, and he goes, third vote to remove Michael. <laughs> and then looks at maybe, and he's like, did you meet to write George Michael? <laughs> and then I like how opens the fourth ballot. And the narrator says, was it out of hope or confusion? Either way, it couldn't have been what he wants to read. And there we see D-A and then crossed out Michael. <laughs> Even George Michael voted for him. And, uh, of course, we get the callback to the uh, the Peanuts music as Michael kind of leaves, now dejected. Um, and then we get to the kind of the ending of the episode where we get to the airport and <laughs> Michael meets the cast of um, <laughs> the workaholics. Uh, Anders Holm, Adam Devine, Blake Anderson and uh, Eric Griffin are here and you know he just wants to get a copy of Altitude magazine um, and he doesn't want to you know check his bag which turns out to be empty <laughs> um, and um, you know he says I'm the star of the the magazine this month and he goes all quarter it's an April September issue <laughs> um, which seems like more than a quarter to me April to September seems like kind of more than three months. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he has suitcases, but he's not flying anywhere. Um, and he says that he was mistakenly voted out of a four-person housing situation in a pack-first, no-talking-after <laughs> scenario. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, they get stuck on mistakenly. <laughs> and, you know, um, once he gets to um, TSA... Um, I mean, he, the cheapest destination he was going to go to was Pittsburgh, but instead he ends up um, picking the second cheapest, obviously. That being a, a slam there on Pittsburgh. Um, and, you know, he gets the security, and we have here um, star of Veep, Sam Richardson, um, who as the TSA agent. And obviously, you know, um, <laughs> he's asking about why his bag is empty. Um and, you know, he explains the situation. And I like the, Sam Richardson's delivery of, well, I mean, obviously, Peahan's going to vote against you. <laughs> and I like how he's explained it that much that Sam Richardson knows all the names of the people involved. Um, and uh, Michael goes, these three people with burkas just walk right by you. <laughs> it's just like trying to point out how badly he's doing it. Um, and, you know, once he actually gets on the magazine... He finds that he doesn't actually have one with a, a pocket, so he hasn't got a copy of Altitude. Um, 
and he eventually has to move four seats before he finally gets it and he sees the you know the the story with him which says development uh, discontinued development michael bluth is praying you'll fix his huge mistake which is you know his an obvious call out to uh, job and the huge mistakes that he makes and in brackets it has and why his prayers won't be answered <laughs> which i kind of like and you know he has you know his hands in a, a praying um situation which is something that he'll call Lindsay out for later on um and you know michael the narrator tells us that you know michael a man who had threatened to leave his family but had always stayed for his son a man who no longer had an excuse to live anywhere found himself with nothing to lose in a town that he'd always imagined would be his destiny and michael goes past this very very long mural which has um you know a picture of um a house on a hill by itself <laughs> kind of like a castle um uh, but you know you might say it resembles the model home along with a stair car next to an aeroplane uh a banana stand uh, a man on a um on a segway uh along with a a, a yacht uh a a building that resembles the mexican church uh when they went um in season two uh a car with a cabin on the side of it and a man on a um, a bicycle with um, uh, a bicycle rickshaw with three brothers sitting on each other's laps <laughs> in the back, um, a a a picture of Big Ben with a, uh, a London red bus and a sign that indicates the change of traffic, um, and then the Queen Mary along with a boat going into the sunset <laughs> and a loose seal with a yellow bow tie. So basically, a kind of summation of three seasons of Arrested Development. Um, just before we get to the welcome to Phoenix sign. Um, and, you know, obviously Phoenix was where they were going at the start of season two. Um, and finally, you know, like they've arrived. Um, and the narrator tells us for the first time in many years, Michael had hope. And then on the next Arrested Development, Michael steps out of the air conditioned airport. <laughs> and as he gets outside, obviously the heat of Phoenix hits him. Um, and he touches the the handle on this cab, and it burns him much in the same way that the um, uh, the corn baller would burn him. And Michael returns immediately back into the airport and catches the plane back home. <laughs> um, and we see him arrive at uh, Balboa Towers, and you know uh, we see the mess, and he goes Buster, no, no, Job. And then, of course, he's attacked by an ostrich and the narrator says, it was Lindsay. <laughs> and that is where the episode ends. And, you know, I just kind of like there's some storylines, which obviously you won't realise are being set up for the rest of the season that are set up quite quickly here with the, the Cinco de Cuatro and some of the other kind of smaller storylines, um, you know, uh, particularly that ostrich one. That is, you know, that's just kind of a minor part of <laughs> Lindsay's story. Um, but they kind of set it up here. You know, the whole thing with the, the housing situation for George Michael, they set it up here, you know, with the kind of him getting the large dorm so that by the time you get to the George Michael's episodes, when he returns, you know, from his year abroad and gets the large dorm, it's kind of already been explained for you so they don't kind of go over it, um, you know. So I think, you know, there's there's quite a lot of good stuff here kind of setting up the rest of the season, Um but also kind of setting things up for Michael's second episode as well. Um, but also, you know, like um, Sudden, Sudden Valley being finished is something that will become something of a recurring 
thing for other episodes as well and other characters will visit the model home at different points throughout the season obviously you know they're not all going to be living back in the model home at any (laughs) point this season but you know uh so i don't know how you feel about this as a kind of the first episode of the season kevin yeah uh, on rewatching, it is a great episode it's nice to see the characters again uh it was a bummer not to see Lindsay or tobias but it's nice to see everybody else it does feel like it's setting up a lot and i do know that's why a lot of people didn't like it at first because you really need to watch the whole season to get the full picture, but everything becomes every little small moment in this episode becomes beautiful later in the episode, so it's all worth it in the end. And I really enjoyed it. Everything with Michael and George Michael was perfect and really great and really funny, so definitely a great episode still, yeah. even though some of it's all set up. And I feel as well like P-Hound is only kind of introduced here as an antagonist to Michael, but they still kind of give his character little shadings of what will eventually become, you know, like kind of the, the rivalry between him and and George Michael in later episodes. So there's some nice little kind of things like that. And obviously the, you know, the reappearance of maybe, and she says, you know, she's being tutored, you know, little things like that, that yeah. at the time you don't know why maybe who at this point is, you know, in her mid twenties is being tutored by, you know, George Michael. And that kind of stuff obviously gets explained late in later episodes. Um, but when you then rewatch it's, you know, it's like, just so stupid, you know, that she's still getting tutored. And obviously, the only reason she's staying in school is to try and get the attention of her parents who just keep ignoring her. So, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of little kind of things that are set up in this episode that, like you say, yeah, once you've watched the whole ser- series, much like the mural that, you know, Michael goes past at the end of the episode, once you've kind of got the whole picture of what's going on, a lot of the jokes kind of do have, you know, a lot of resonance. And, you know, my my favourite thing in this in this kind of um, series, this this particular season, is all the fake block stuff. And this is kind of the origin of that, of the kind of ridiculousness of that storyline of, of, you know, George and Michael ending up as the head of this tech company that basically is just trying to make, you know, a, a, a wood block. And that's pretty much it. Um, and it's worth saying that if you search on the App Store, either for Android or for uh, Apple, and you search for fake block, you can find that wood block on, on the store. And it is literally just a wood block where you just tap the screen and it makes like a woodblock noise and that's pretty much it. You, so, you know, they actually released it as part of the show. Um, but yeah, so I think it's a good start as well, you know. Um, I think the thing is, obviously, it takes a few episodes, you know, for you to kind of get used to the way that the the show is, is kind of done. Um, and obviously that's something that we'll get into, uh, you know, a lot more in later episodes. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of the characters... Uh, you know, Lucille is still quite well served in this episode. You know, Lucille too is well served as well. They both get some very good jokes, you know, and, you know, the, the chemistry between Jason Bateman and Michael Sarah are really kind of still so on point. Like their timing is so perfect, um, you know, and obviously in later episodes, there are jokes about how Michael, you know, how Michael Sarah's character starts to look older than he was, um, you know, so... They kind of start playing on that as well. But I also like the fact that Jason Bateman's character, you know, Michael is saying that people say he looks like a teenager <laughs> and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a little bit of kind of playing around with the kind of the the, the, the fact that time has gone past. Um, and there is one joke that I should kind of point out because this occurs, I think, up to about episode 10. And it is Scene Stealer Pro, the trial version Whenever they show anything from the original series, it has this watermark across it that says Scene Stealer Pro Trial Version. That stays on every single kind of every single clip from like episodes uh, from seasons one, two and three until about the 10th episode into the season. And then while you're watching one clip, it just suddenly goes. 
as if the trial version has finished and they've, <laughs> they've brought the they've had to buy the kind of the full version to keep showing the clips and that's like that's a that's a joke that kind of the first time i watched the show i saw that watermark and i thought what is going on what's wrong with this what's why is there a watermark across this and obviously then you realize it's de- you know it's a joke it's it's deliberate but upon first watch i remember thinking what is, something's gone wrong with this why is there a watermark on on you know on this episode <laughs> and you know what I'm, what's going on that i'm i seem to be watching an illegal stream of this that has got like a watermark in there uh, but yeah so that's like a joke that they a meta joke that they kind of do for most of the the series a good a good kind of um opening to the show and really sets up you know a lot of uh you know a lot of jokes that will kind of be expanded upon later on and i particularly kind of you know, I like the fact that they've got Trisha Thune and John Beard back. And, you know, even though they can't get the whole cast in a room at any one time in this show, <laughs> they at least have these kind of the stuff that kind of the colored of the, of the show that kind of made it feel real. They have those kind of elements back. And I think that, you know, that kind of makes it, uh, you know, quite enjoyable. I'm just excited to rewatch this whole season again now that I'm back in the zone because it brings back all the memories. It's real great. Well, do you have anything that you wish to plug? Well, I created a movie recommendation website and app called Nextflick. That's uh, www.nextflick.net where you type in your favorite movie or TV show. You can type in Arrest Development and it'll give you up to 60 plus movie recommendations based on that. So definitely go check that out and find something new to watch. Uh, are you on any social media of any kind? I am. I'm, uh, let's see, Twitter on uh, Nextflick.net. Uh, mainly I do movie news and stuff like that, but also TV news, so check me out there. Uh, thanks for being my guest here today. Uh, if you wish to follow us, you can follow us on um, Twitter. And otherwise, you know, obviously find us on iTunes and Twitter and we're on Facebook. Um, you know, take a look out there and you'll find us somewhere um, for under I'm a huge, I've made a huge mistake. But otherwise, it was great speaking to you once more, Kevin. Great speaking with you as well. I had a fun. And otherwise, goodbye. Bye.